1: Hi
2: everyone, JD here. Now it's going to be a big summer for Palace, and for all of us, now that we're allowed to see friends again in person. So what better way to celebrate not just the ending of lockdown, but potentially a whole new era at Palace than with a free case of eight Belgian beers from Beer 52. All you've got to do is go to beer52.com forward slash FYP and pay the £5.95 postage. And not only that, if you do it before July 13th, you'll get two extra beers totally free. Now we're hoping that Palace will dip into the transfer market and pull off a few summer hits of their own and that's exactly what Beer 52 are doing. Their Summer Hits case will feature beer from some of the best small batch breweries in the world. Beer 52's beer experts are on a mission to find the best beer anywhere on the planet. Every month they visit a different country, find the best small batch breweries, sample their finest craft beer and then carefully curate a case to be sent to their lucky members. Impress barbecue guests as you whip out an Elevation Pale Ale from Ireland's Wicklow Wolf Brewery. Watching the Euros in the company of a crisp double dry hopped IPA from two chefs brewing in the Netherlands. So the options are endless. And if you don't like dark beer, choose the light option. It's that simple each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine ferment as well as a tasty snack to enjoy alongside your beer there's no minimum commitment you can just take the free case try the beers and see what you think and if it's not for you you can pause or cancel at any time so just go to beer52.com forward slash fyp that's the word beer and the numbers 52.com forward slash fyp to claim your free case of eight craft beers now just got to pay the 5.95 for postage and don't forget to claim before july 13th for those two extra free beers right on with the podcast Hello and welcome to the Five-Year Plan podcast.
3: Hey,
2: Hey. Beautifully done. Uh, It's a special off-season episode where we're going to discuss the recently released Amazon Prime documentary When Eagles Dare, which focuses on Palace's 2012-13 promotion season, including behind-the-scenes footage from that year and more recent interviews with some key players and staff. And joining me to do that, we have Rob Sutherland. Hello to you. Hello. The only person not—the only person not in the documentary. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not that special. So. No, that's a really harsh way to start. I'm so sorry. And um, we've also <laughs> got when Eagles Day producer and interviewer Chris Crearson. Hello to you. Hello, JD. How are you? Yeah, good. Top good. man. It's good to have you. It's good to have you in. I've uh, also got uh, director Sean Webb. How are you? I'm um, Tip top, how are you? Tip top, like that. That yeah. should become a new catchphrase. <laughs> uh, I'm very good, thank you, and thank you for joining us. And joining us via the magic of Zoom from the northeast, we've got a man who played a pivotal part um, in that promotion season and in the documentary itself. Played in all but six league games, scoring four goals along the way. It's the one and only Peter Rambo Ramage. Rambo, how are you? I'm very well, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thank you very much for joining us. And you're just telling us about some building work going on behind you so uh, it might be noisy but um, as you said we'll, we'll yeah. take we'll take the building work I'll add some ambience <laughs> yeah something like that anyway <laughs> we'll see good um, a few announcements to do can I get a round of applause for the winner of the FYP FPL Fantasy Premier League Mini League winner beating like something like 500 people Fletcher Law can I get a round of applause for Fletcher hey. Law well done Fletcher um, we did tweet out saying can you get in contact to get a, a gift you haven't yet but there is one if you want it and you're listening, Fletcher. So Isn't this
4: involved? where Rob slags off
2: FPL? Yeah. Uh, normally, yes, but he did mention flying planes before, so we're, we're one all. Um, having said <laughs> that, we've got another, pay- another winner. It's of the Patron League. Technically didn't win because I won, which is a bit embarrassing, but in he came second, so we're going to send him... It's a bit embarrassing anyway. <laughs> for him. No, well, yeah, for him. Um, Steve Whaley. So round of applause for Steve as well. All right, Steve. Thank you beautifully done um, also uh, uh, this is really embarrassing I'm doing some live comedy shows in, in two weeks time um, so at Brighton Fringe uh, I'm writing it now it's lots of fun uh, well I'm enjoying writing it jimdailycomedy.com forward slash gigs is where you can get tickets so £5 each please come along if you live on the south coast 23rd and 24th of June at 8pm
5: um, has anyone else got anything they want to talk about quickly before we get I felt like project? that I need to I, yeah need Chris
3: to. anything I hope he's going down and wearing his palace shirt if he's going down to Brighton <laughs> oh, yeah. by the
5: way I'm actually doing it at a pub that's
2: run by a Brighton fan it's a big Brighton pub so and I've written ten minutes of Palace material, so just to re- just to wind up the locals as much as possible. So if that doesn't convince Palace fans to come along, um, nothing will. Um, speaking of Palace fans, uh, the When Eagles Dare has been released on Amazon Prime about a week ago now. Is it no last Friday? A few three or four days ago. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, um, where have you been for the last uh, few days? Five episodes. Well, well worth watching. It delves into, well, not just the 12-13 promotion season, but the few years before that, Grio as well, obviously coming out of the administration. My first question to you will be, obviously fans will remember there was the documentary footage that was filmed at the time, and then nothing happened to it, and then a lot of fans kept asking, where's it going to be? There was a, um, a trailer. When's it going to come out? You guys used that footage. Tell us a bit about the process of how that came into, into being used as part of this documentary.
4: So, yeah, so there's obviously that documentary which... Um didn't come out for uh, whatever reason and then in 2019 uh daniel van der molen got in touch with steve and said hey this footage obviously is still knocking around is there anything you guys want to do with it and then steve passed it on to our boss james Woodroof, and then we had a chat and we watched it through and then eventually what it. it ended up with us uh looking at it and then deciding well enough time has passed now and some players have retired that it was a good chance to chat to them because what you find with a lot of Footballers are a lot more open once they've stopped playing. You've probably found that interviewing them in the past. Mm. So it was a good time to delve into the stories and Dougie was back at the club. Uh, so at first, we looked at it and we thought, oh, well, we'll just do a little bit of a re-edit and we'll put in some new interviews with Steve and Dougie. Um, and then it just snowballed, really, didn't it, Sean?
6: It was, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, well, I guess I didn't really actually start looking at the footage until sort of February, of 2020 so timing of that obviously I think it was after the Watford game and then it all Covid happened well you had nothing else it. to do so that's great and, and all of a sudden it was like well I better get better
5: get started on this passion project then. so basically you had like a picture on Instagram that said 2020 is going to be my year this yeah. is the one where I'm going <laughs> to yeah. do everything go and see <laughs> the world and make a brilliant documentary
4: yeah yeah uh, and we'd already done Holloway haven't we because we had actually the December, started,
6: he was the first one, wasn't he?
4: Because the December before Holloway had come to do a sporting dinner at right. Celeste, so we we knew that we had this footage that we were buying, and we were like, right, let's get the interview with him in the can while he's there.
6: Mm. And, and he then, was so open, wasn't he, in that interview, and he, was, he Holloway's just, he is just that guy that you all think he is. He's just a yeah. incredible character. And so I think doing that interview, we were like, hmm, if we can get more of this then there'd be a hell of a story here. And we already knew the story was great because we've lived it, but to have him actually come out with some of the stuff that he said, it was like, and then obviously Steve saw that. And I think, yeah, by the time, so my first edit was just Holloway and all of the uh, the interviews that that Dan and um, and Joe did back in 2013, and that was it. And then Steve saw that and went, it's great, but obviously we need to tell the story now because we haven't really done that. And then... And then we did Steve's interview, and uh, I think after that point it really, really snowballed because we were coming out of lockdown and and um, started to get a few more. Well, we could go outside and go and
2: interview people again. I will talk about Ollie later on, definitely, because he oh, yeah. becomes a sort of pivotal figure. Uh, Rabo, is that is that true about footballers becoming more open since retiring? Did you find the case that that was the same for you?
3: Yeah, I think so. I think you have to be careful what you say nowadays, don't you? Um, I think everything gets dissected. Uh, especially when you're playing, um, But I think just to what like Chris and Sean just said there. I think you do get players become more open-minded about speaking out about what happened and things like that. But I also think you know there's enough time passed that um, it was a great story to tell, um, and probably better story to tell when the players are a little bit older, greyer and uglier. And to be honest, <laughs> if you've got nothing else to do, so um, yeah, it was uh, it was great. To, to be able to um, to sit down and chat with them uh, and remember all the the good times that we had back then, yeah was it
2: nice delving back into those memories because obviously as uh, you know you've spoken about it being a pretty memorable and pivotal you know season in your career
3: uh yeah it was by far the best season that i've had in my career um for many and uh, for many reasons um and yeah it was um and watching the documentary you uh, you get a little bit of an insight from all the other guys as well. Obviously, we still most of us still speak now um to this day. But you know, hearing the story in their own words, it uh, it kind of resonated. really how how special a year it really was.
2: Yeah, Rob. As a fan watching back, I felt like obviously this is documentary for Amazon Prime and for fans of all clubs. But it actually felt like it was sort of made for Palace fans in a way. Like some of it's the bits that were so specific to Palace, and I'd forgotten just how much we crammed into that season.
5: What did you think about when we watching it? I I watched it and I wrote a review about it and I felt as I said in the review that it was it's like a love letter to Crystal Palace as a club. So it's it's very much about um kind of a melding of all these different elements that make Crystal Palace great all happening in one season you know you had all the drama you had the, the kind of craziness of the manager leaving uh, you had a new manager coming in who was more crazy than what we kind of had imagined and then you had, you had us playing great football you had us at times playing going through a spell of miserable football but at the end It's all about everybody coming together and and kind of turning it into into a a memorable, brilliant season as a result. And I think Palace generally, you just don't have boring seasons that often. It's very unusual for Palace to be boring. But this was just the perfect kind of combination of all of the ingredients. And I think I have to say that the thing that's really interesting when you put all the interviews together that Chris and Sean have filmed and all of these individual players and all of these parts, they all say the same thing, which is about the unity of the squad. And, you know, you can, there might be that, that you get this impression sometimes of football clubs being divided and having cliques, but this it didn't feel like there was a clique there. It felt like they were all fighting for the same cause and kind of believing in each other. Is that, is that how you remember it, Rambo?
3: Yeah, it really is. Um, I mean, you had a variety of kind of ages in amongst it all. You know, you had the young talents of, well, young guys like Sir so Wolf, Johnny, you know, Yala coming in the in the building at the time. Um, you had some experienced players, uh, you know, and uh, coming into the peak or the latter stages of their career, like so myself, Damo, O'Mealy, and then you had the old statesmen or the elder statesmen in Jules and uh, and Kevin Phillips. But everybody just seemed to be on the same page and. You know, there was, uh, it's often used, the words often used, but really was kind of like a family. Because at any one moment, a guy could have, I could have asked Wilf if he wanted to, you know, go and do something Wilf would have gone and done it. Could have done the same with Paddy, could have done the same with Jules. It, it just really was um, a, a real family-orientated group that, that kind of stuck together. Um, and I think, you know, it, the guys do a great job in, uh, in portraying it like a jigsaw and that really was, it was just all these pieces just somehow managed to come together and fit into one masterpiece
5: that ended up in, uh, in obviously walking up the steps at Wembley. But it, it's not just by magic that that happens, is it? I mean, it, it's almost like it, 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 that chemistry doesn't just happen. You can you can end up, I think you probably have had experience maybe where you've been at a club where it hasn't felt the same. Um yeah. And it's just, it's strong characters, but it's also just a willingness from other members of the squad to be willing to kind of be part of that, I guess.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, the, I think the club were, were, even the previous season, it hadn't been a great season. I know obviously they got to the semi-finals, but like league-wise, league it, wasn't, it wasn't great. But what Dougie was doing was starting to put the foundations for the actual culture of the club. And by doing that, he was bringing in the players, you know, the season before. I know I was on there on loan, but, you know, he had the likes of Paddy, he had Jules, he brought in Mealy, he brought in Glenn Murray. You know, KG came in. Strong characters and good professionals, but more importantly, good actual people. And I you know to quote like the All Blacks, better men, make, better, men, better men make better All Blacks. And that's kind of what Dougie was doing. And he was putting the foundations in to, to improve the culture around the club. And that was come from the staff as well. You know, there's a lot of people, behind the scenes that were working to help us be able to do uh, what we were uh, able to do on the pitch but the whole place was just kind of on the same page and and that came from just us being good people and Dougie and particularly and obviously the chairman and and Phil Alexander identifying and bringing in the right kind of people um both on and off the field uh to make sure that there was a there was a legacy that was going to be built upon uh, you know hard work on
6: that yeah. note I mean the um the point in the there's a point in the documentary around sort of midway through part three where we talk about all this stuff and it's and it's actually that section all came from when we interviewed rambo it was that interview though it broke open the sort of heart and soul of that team and you saw it in the way that that rambo was talking about it in that interview that was what made you made us realize okay right we've already got to shell out a bit of this story to really telling the the story of these guys individually but also how it all came together and it shouldn't have come and you know when you look at all the disparate pieces and and all that it shouldn't come together like that and it just did and I think yeah we tried to really it it started with the story about a football club and ended up being the story about these guys that you know like Steve says became greater than the sum of their parts and and that kind of,
2: in a way, encapsulates what Palace is as well. Yeah. And I just, think... It's interesting yeah. as fans, isn't it, Greg? Because I think as fans, we look back and think, oh, that team had heart, that team was really together in their spirit. And they talk to the players and you realise, oh no, they really did. We're not that far away from, when we think that as fans. Yeah, it's true. I mean, this,
4: let's say this squad, a lot of people have said it online, this is the everyone's favourite squad since the 1991. That was mm-hmm. the last one where everyone talked about this kind of thing. And it was exactly the same thing with that squad. It was a group of people with a point to prove mixed yeah. in with youth, which that's Crystal Palace to me. Yeah. And the style of play was Palace. Like the, the Duggies tactics, the four two three one. a Palace side is sitting back a bit. Because we we admire defence. Like when we had Pulis in charge, yeah. personally, I found it mesmerising to watch how organised everyone was in defence. And then, boom, as soon as we get the ball, let's just hit them on the counter-attack. And I think that's what this team did. And I think that's... That's one of the reasons why everyone's so excited about them. But at the same time, because they had such like, there's someone for everyone in that team. Yeah, that like, everyone has their own favourite, but everyone's incredible. Yeah, and like Sean said, it all came from Rambo's interview, the, the different stories. I basically just sat there and list. I went through the squad list and I just said one player at the time, and then he told us <laughs> which one he wanted to marry his daughter.
3: <laughs> and uh, yeah, she weren't happy about that. <laughs>
4: Which one does she want,
3: uh, Johnny Parr or Johnny Williams? Uh, oh, she's just coming up at you. No, was, <laughs> she was. Um, she was a, a big a big Will Fignola fan. Obviously, the uh, the attacking player. She, she was like, well, she wanted one of them too. They were the superstars. <laughs> they were probably going to buy her all the jewelry and all that. There is a lot of superstars of a woman. and a lot of characters in there, wasn't there? But
2: I mean, the guys have mentioned Dougie. Obviously, the first two episodes have really sort of pivoted on on Dougie laying the foundations and then leaving, but he comes up Rambo so often in the rest of the episode, to the point where Holloway says, can everyone just shut up about Dougie? I mean, he, he never really sort of left the building, did he really?
3: No, I think the, uh, Dougie's ghost was kind of haunting Ollie a couple of times during that season. Uh, it kept getting brought up, especially when we weren't doing well, but I think it's, um, it's, un- it shouldn't be underestimated how much of an influence he had on the, the, the whole club and that group of players. You know, I'm speaking personally. I, you know, I was so keen to get in the car and drive back down the A1 just purely because Dougie made me feel wanted, and I think he did that with the majority of players that he brought in. Um, he gave us freedom to express ourselves on the training pitch on a daily basis, but also had that somewhat ruthless streak about him that it was it was his way, and he knew which way he wanted to go and the direction he wanted to go, and he and he sold it to us. Um, but then we went on delivered on the pitch and we were at the you know we were high up in the league when he left and i think everybody was devastated uh, i know how i was that he was going because he'd been there for a few years and began to build something that was you could see was going to be special and i think the fact that at the end of the story he's not there to you know to to finish off the project obviously all he was um was a little bit everybody just kind of wished a little bit it was Dougie that was there but don't underestimate what Ollie did as well. I think the pair of them complimented each complemented the, each other well in terms of instilling what each philosophy was on the group, which you know they both had a, a major impact on a major reason why we got promoted.
2: Yeah, it was like a sort of perfect storm of a season, really, all this stuff happening. Sure. And there's a bit at the end of I think episode two where before the start of the 2012-13 season, as Ram said, we don't say so badly at the end of the first season, and Steve is sort of saying oh, I don't know if I need to get rid of Dougie, like, what am I going to do? And then it ended, and I was thinking, God, I hope they keep Dougie. And I thought, oh, no, actually, I was literally there at the time. I, but there was something about the way it had been put together that actually sort of made you get into oh, the, into the, the cliffhanger. story that way. Oh, yeah. it was funny. I
6: watched it with some friends, and they all just went, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving it on a cliffhanger like that. It's just like uh, Yeah, I mean, that that was try- quite tricky, actually. what well, was probably the hardest bit when trying to figure out the, the structure of the narrative in... Where do we, how do we instil a bit of drama into sort of the to end to sort of, because that first episode is quite long. It's probably one of the longest episodes and you have to call it at some point. You can't just make it really, really, really long and take it all the point all the way to the point where Dougie leaves. It had to be a breaking point. And it was like, well, I guess there was a moment where it did look like he was in trouble. And, and that was from Steve. He went, no, no, we met in the car park after the Bristol game. And there were serious questions being asked of me. It's like, are you going to? do something about this like you know and he was I, I don't know how these conversations actually went down he never really told us exactly but it, luckily he had people like Brighty around him to sort of give him really good advice And you know from a footballer like that and I think Steve you know he talks about Brighty a lot he's an incredibly important yeah. character in the whole story that doesn't doesn't come up that much but I think f- for Steve he was really important but anyway yeah that yeah, that was a really important moment and um, I'm glad you brought into the, the cliffhanger there that we, <laughs> that we dropped in <laughs> yeah that
2: was the hardest bit wasn't it oh it's was tough
6: yeah trying to figure that bit out
2: yeah i really got into it um rambo were you one of the players that cried
3: when dougie left because there was talks of tears in the gym wasn't there or something yeah i mean we were all emotional i mean we we knew obviously something was happening and then obviously it got announced and he came into the gym uh when we're doing my morning workout with scotty and um yeah there was there was a tear kind of balling up inside of me, um, try obviously try to portray the hard man Luke, can't be seen. Anything. But no, I think we were all emotional. Like I said, I think everybody had really bought into what Dougie was trying to create and uh, he'd really got a grip of the group and everybody was kind of um, disappointed that he he chose to leave. Um, you know, from a professional standpoint, he's got an unbelievable opportunity at Bolton. From a you know a personal um, standpoint, I was just sorry to see him leave. Yeah, the apology, actually, I think, Rio, is quite a big part of it. I actually wasn't... I'd actually kind of, forget, again,
2: forgotten about that. I wasn't really expecting one from Dougie. And I know Dougie doesn't do a lot of talking publicly. so I was actually quite surprised that he opened up in the way that he that he did. Were, were you?
4: Uh, well, he'd done it before, hadn't he, on um, Arrival uh Palace podcast, hadn't he?
5: <laughs> you, can, you can mention the name of the
4: podcast. <laughs> was it Back funny. of the Nest? Yeah, they yeah. did. Yeah, they he did, did an interview probably. with them oh, before, yeah. didn't he, where he talked yeah. about it. So we knew that he'd spoken about it before, but I think camera's completely... I think it does make a difference to people. Yeah, so he doesn't do many interviews. And we were in a hurry that day, weren't we? Didn't he have a meeting? Yeah, he had to go. He had a phone call. So it was only about 30, 30 I think it was 38 it was minutes. It the shortest him.
6: interview I think we did, actually.
4: Yeah, so we had to kind of get to that point <laughs> really <laughs>
6: Can you apologise, really
4: <laughs> Um But then he goes for it, doesn't he? Like, yeah. He talks, yeah. A, he talks a long, long long time about it. Yeah. He's a great talker, Doggy. Sometimes he just comes and sits down in the canteen and just starts chatting and telling stories about... That time, he tells it about how we didn't actually put it in the documentary. I can't. It might be because we were rushing towards it and didn't cover it. But the day after Hillsborough happened and everyone left, he was left there, kind of in charge of the club because his contract was still running and Paul Hart's had finished. And he said that he had the groundsman come in and said, "We've we need to put some seeds down to grow the grass. (laughs) We've got no money," and Dougie had to give him forty quid (laughs) to buy the seeds because the club had no money. So wow. he was—he was just left. It was a shell. It was just him. So he
5: was sowing the seeds. Oh, Success. look at that! Look at that. Um <laughs> that is appalling.
4: Um, but he's very good at bringing char- like they said about bringing the characters in. He's still very much about that now. Yeah. If you look at like Nathan Ferguson, and obviously we haven't seen him play, but Eze as well. Those two guys are like a, a different breed of human. They're so nice, especially Barry Eze is such a. You get that impression. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. Such a special guy, and that is. And then Guaita as well, another one that Dougie's brought in. He's trying to... He he brings it into his recruitment now. He really does go into the character of the players
6: before bringing them in. Yeah. Like Gary Cahill as well. Getting guys like that into the building when we need them. You know, and Gary's great for the club. Like, you need characters like that. Like, you know, sort of Damo and Rambo were for for that team. You need those experienced heads.
2: Yeah, I mean this might be something that isn't Palace-specific and that every podcast says, but... Big characters feels like a palace thing doesn't it? Is that would you say it's the same thing, Rambo? That we're a team that thrives, I think, on having those big personalities rather than well, I don't know what the opposite would be, but yeah, those sort of big characters.
3: Yeah, uh, um, I do. I think it's it's something that obviously the recruitment department have, have identified that is what the club needs as well as the group needs. Um, you know you mentioned uh the couple of players there you know they they do kind of follow the lead of that 2013 group um so it might be something that's you know based on on what you know what went well uh back all, all the way back then is now you know something that's synonymous with uh, with what they look for in in players for for the current squad um i know certainly it's as a coach now up in Newcastle, it's something that we look at, and it's the character of the player as well as you know the talent that he had, that he has at, at his disposal. It's it's key that you bring in good people um, that are willing to learn and and work hard. And you know, I think you know Palace is a hard-working club, Newcastle is a hard-working club. You know, we're not going to attract the, the multi-million-pound superstars. Um, so it is something that probably they look at more than you know natural ability. God, that's yeah. two good atmospheres though that you've played in front of there.
4: Because I do have to say, St James's Park for me, going to the, that stadium is my favourite one. I think to go to from from a press point of view. I know it's not good when you're in the away end and you're about three miles from <laughs> yeah, the pitch, yeah. but <laughs> when you're down there and you can hear the noise that they make, yeah, it must have been great for you, Rambo, to play in front of two sets of amazing fans. Yeah,
3: it really is. I mean, I grew up when you cast a fan went to the games from you know way back. I think it was the the late eighties when I first went with my auntie and uncle. Um and it was just a dream to play or to to go and watch the games first and foremost and then to go all the way through the the youth system and play in front of the fans really is, you know, there's some special games that you know, I played at St James's where the, the fans were absolutely rocking and then, you know, you hear all about the passion of the the Homesdale end at Palace and you wonder is it gonna be really as noisy as St James's in the Gallagher end and you know, it didn't disappoint when you know I, I came at the club and uh, and heard them uh, in full voice. It uh, it can be really, really intimidating. And I played, you know, played at Palace for QPR. I remember a game that we we won it towards the back end of the year when we were both struggling, and it just resonated with me. were just how passionate they were for the team and uh, and supportive they were, even you know when they were getting beat. Yeah, it's going to be good to actually be back in the stadium.
2: Hopefully next season. Um, before we go for a break, quick question that goes on from what you were saying there about an interview that didn't make it, but a question from Mark Davis. Hi, Mark. Um, who says is there much footage that didn't make the cut? He's put particularly interviews with other players like Garvin, KG or Moritz. I'd imagine you had to sort of limit your player interviews at some point, didn't
4: you? Yeah, no. Everyone that was, everyone that we did was in it. Um, the it was we we was looking at today actually on our WhatsApp chat that we had that we started before we made it like the order of people doing it and we nearly didn't weren't going to do rambo because he wasn't in the country because he you're out in phoenix and we've got a text saying yeah well, we can't do him because he's back and then it was later on a, a couple of months later he's back in the country <laughs> fantastic a <laughs> yeah, job in Newcastle, we could do him um and then we just decided like we couldn't do moritz wasn't in the country kg we couldn't do dame at one point because of covid because and i didn't want to do them on zoom because yeah just aesthetically, yeah. it wouldn't have looked very good. But then, demo freed up that you could. F- there was a loophole in the COVID rules that you could pass through Ireland, which meant if you weren't staying the night, so I could fly out, <laughs> interview him, and fly back the same day. And that was allowed without, without up, having to quarantine. Doing it on today. a ferry or something. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, um, no. So there wasn't any any of those interviews that didn't make it. But I am. I'm already. I've set up interviews with KG, Moxie, and Wilbraham so far. Once they've watched the series, which we will do on Zoom, just to because I do I wanted to chat to those Garvin. We need to track down. I think he's working.
2: He works so working for his. Insurance or something. Yeah, he works for his dad's insurance company or something. Yeah. What? I that, yeah, I saw that randomly pop up on one of the message boards, isn't it? Yeah, is a, a, a Norfolk newspaper. But recording. Sean,
4: what what didn't you? Obviously, you sat there and watched oh, all of the original everything. footage, of yeah. the Merlin stuff. I guess it was. Stuff that didn't make it was Steve racing his
6: car in Italy. <laughs> there was so they did they boxed off like a whole bunch of days towards the end of the season. Essentially, they actually didn't start filming until Holloway's first game, where he went to go watch, and that was that, a, that was a day in the life that they followed Steve Parrish for, I think. Um, and um, yeah, so they they did that day, and then they didn't really come back for a while, and then they did quite a few games towards the end of the season. I remember Leeds. Mm. Birmingham, obviously, was a big one towards the end of the, the part three. That became a big sort of crashing moment. Um, yeah. So that was really useful footage. But there was quite a few games, Leeds particularly one. He, uh, a lot of it was of the crystals, and we were kind of like, well, this doesn't really tell the story of the season. So we ended up not using a lot of it. Yeah. But we used it in terms of, you know, colour it, you know, it's just yeah. sort of random shots throughout the whole dock. Um, but there was, there was reams and reams and reams of, of, of interviews f- that they shot. Um, that ended up just not making the cut because we just we ended up filming loads more and it felt like well we're telling the story of this team more than we are of maybe the fans or maybe the not the fans like you know the, like the it was staff
4: it. as well wasn't it
6: it was staff Their that was one was great. a
4: very much a documentary on the staff at the club with some of the players once it got to the playoffs
6: yes it was there was a lot of stuff going into you know the, the finance department and stuff like this which i think They obviously did it for a purpose to begin with, but for our purposes, we ended up going, well, that's not really going to make it. But we tried to include a bits of it so we could show people like Terry and people like, uh, you know, uh, Sharon Lacey and stuff like this to show what the club looked like then. Mm. And um, and and sort of show, you know, the the fans who work at the club. And it makes that point that I think Susan Jackson makes in part five that a lot of the people work at the club out of love. Yeah. You know, they're there for that reason. And we tried to sort of show that a little bit.
2: I think it's great just watching Steve Parrish's hair journey over the, over the years. It's absolutely fantastic, uh, and he looks—he looks great. Um, let's he take got a quick a special trim for the final, didn't he?
4: I
5: did,
2: oh yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Money well spent. Um, let's take a quick break, and after break, we'll have more on the documentary.
0: My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home.
2: Welcome back to the 5-Year Plan Podcast. Wait, Oh, we go way, way. On, guys, um, it's part two of our When Eagles Dare documentary um, special. Uh, Rambo, I've got a quick question for you, which is off the back of uh, Demo. towards the end of the documentary. He says to the guys filming, who are you? And they say, we've been filming all season. He says, I don't, I don't remember you. Um, did you. Did you have much awareness that this was being filmed uh, while it was going on?
3: No, not really, no <laughs> It was, uh, but I remember Damo talking about it after the game and now it's funny, we are just exchanging texts on it and I was just, do you realise there's a camera crew following us? No, <laughs> and it kind of you go around the dressing room and didn't realise what was going on, so no, we didn't Well, it's very very covert
5: operation on uh, I think on it's probably off. the best kind of camera crew you have though is is one that you don't notice, because then otherwise you end up with people just acting up for the camera and I don't think none of none of what you see from that kind of candid stuff the, especially the, the brighton game with the goals being scored and wilf celebrating and Yala kind of pulling him back from the crowd and all that all that stuff you just it, it's like you're almost you're seeing that that's the that's the great thing about
4: those celebrations it. are so good I, just, I was saying to my my wife when we were watching it um, that's the one thing that people who don't watch football or sport don't ever get to experience the feeling of celebrating a goal. And where else in your life, you know, like when Holloway's going, absolutely yes. not. Where else in your life do you ever celebrate like that? You no one ever goes. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever. You don't do that at all. Like even if you won an award, like you have to look polite, don't you? You can't like
2: unless you're over- Cristiano say. Ronaldo.
4: Yeah, it's the only. It's a massive release, and that is what people don't understand. People that's people don't understand why people watch football and it's because they've never cared about a team so much that you just let everything go when a goal goes in the back of the net. And from f- hearing feedback from people who have watched it with friends who aren't that into football and they've suddenly said, oh yeah, I get it now.
6: Yeah, I get why you're into it. Some of Rambo's celebrations from that season were good, actually. <laughs> I remember your one against Watford away. Um, you're going mad, like,
3: <laughs> screaming, going, yeah! <laughs> it's great yeah. to see. Yeah, I think you just, you get as a player, you just get caught up in the emotion of the game as well. With 2-0 down. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it is, just to what Chris said there, you, you can't replicate that feeling. Um, scoring a goal, it, for me, I didn't score many. So... When I did, it was a it was a great it's a great feeling. It is probably one of the best feelings in football is when you when you score a goal and a goal of importance as well. You know, you see strikers just kind of like Mario Baratelli just walk off as if it's his job. Well, <laughs> it ain't my job. So when I do score, I'm gonna I'm gonna let it all uh, let it all get out there. So yeah, it is. It's a great feeling. On,
2: on that subject, we had a question from Mark Agius eighty nine. He says, one for Rambo. What was your best game you were involved with during that season? And he said, for him, the Friday night game at Watford was crazy. I remember everyone going mental with Rambo scoring a
3: thundercracker and flares going uh, off. About <laughs> half a yard out, wasn't it, Rambo? Half a yard of that. Um, <laughs> um, there's two for me for two different reasons. Um, the borough at home. Um, we beat them 4-1. Obviously, I scored. But I had a, quite a few friends down from Newcastle. Um, and one of them had stuck a bet on us to score so he won a lot of money uh, and we had a good night on on him um, but also the game for me really was the Leicester City away um, obviously Dougie had just left and Lenny and Flem had taken over the team and I think there was going to be a lot of question marks on us uh, especially that game Leicester were riding high too as well if memory serves me right and um, there was a lot of emotion in that game as to you know whether we could actually put it together and, and come in a, against a very good team and uh, and win and we did and both me and Damo scored which made it even better as well. Um, but them two for me for, for contrasting reasons. But I think probably tipping it over um, was for me the Leicester way because we had that belief that we could go to places like that and actually win games and mm. and really be seriously talked about as promotion contenders. Yeah, two very good goals um, in that game
2: as well. That was another moment, Guillaume, in that documentary where you think, this has almost been scripted, this, yeah. hasn't it? And obviously, it was, it was real. We all lived through it. But it was another moment where just sort of the madness of Crystal Palace summed up in one game.
4: Yeah, yeah, it was. I think, yeah, when you say scripted, it feels like the the whole that whole season, that's why it was special. It had so many ups and downs that, which is what made it quite easy for it to just tell itself. yeah yeah um but like you I mean as a almost like a house style in the videos we do we never use narration or anything. everything is usually told through people talking, cutting together with music and a match foot and it just flows along. but the reason why that was it was so easy to tell was because it felt scripted.
2: Yeah, actually, that's a fair point because the Sunderland one has a doc- has a narration, doesn't it? In fact, all th- most of them. The do. other two do yes, as well on Amazon. Do, yeah. Was that an intentional? Well, thing we t- I mean, obviously, it was. It
6: would have made the it would have made it easier to tell the story, um, like definitely in the beginning, like for episode one. It's it's quite hard to get through that much. Yeah, and a lot happened in a couple of years into well in, in the space of a few months, really. From what was it January when we got put into admin to. To the end of that season, it would have been easier to do it, and we tried to do a bit of it with text, but really wanted to tell it really through the guys who had done it all. Mm. But um, it was—it uh, wasn't intentional. Yeah, we we wanted to do it using Steve and 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 then show you know revealing it and and all of that. Um, but yeah, it would have been a lot easier if we just done a got Doc Brown to do a yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah,
4: that would have been good actually. <laughs> I just find it authentic when it's people telling their own story. Absolutely, I mean, yeah. But we also. Used uh, Scott Guyer. We did last. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we did a, a, an extra bit with Steve uh, and Terry Byfield as well. Helped to tell one of the other bits. Uh, and Brighty as mm. well. So we almost used Brighty, Terry, and Scott Guyer that we did at the end, and then yeah. they filled in little gaps of it to keep it moving. Just well. little
6: signposts, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. They were really handy, actually. And it was a good idea to do those ones because it did help. At first, we were like, "Oh, really? We don't want to take away from the style of because we've you know intentionally done a style with every single interview where they sat in the middle." And then the idea of doing it slightly differently with those guys and just not introducing them, just th- there they are. We can't talk to someone who's not in the jigsaw. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
4: the jigsaw. That no, Scott Guy that's it, not in the jigsaw because it had already been made. Oh, uh, yeah, he's not in the yeah, jigsaw. No, yeah. it, the jigsaw had already been made. It was like, oh, uh, uh, no. Scott, Scott, sorry, Scott. Scott Dobby
2: made it into the jigsaw,
6: though. Stephen Dobby.
2: Stephen Dobby. Stephen yeah. Dobby. What do I call him, Scott Dobby. Scott Dobby. Oh, wow, Scott I'm sorry, Stephen, known. if you're listening, <laughs> that is appalling.
6: I guess we didn't give him enough credit really in the documentary because it was sort of like we signed Phillips and he scores the goal that gets us promoted. Yeah. It's like well, we've but got a you've got to mention Dobby. So I did a little thing when he scored his first goal. He's like Stephen Dobby signed as well, but he was great for us in that second half yeah. of the season. And it's another one of those where it's like you have to call it somewhere. You have to stop loaned, mentioning loan to Palace by Brighton. By Brighton. Oh, wow.
4: <laughs> so oh, yeah. many people had stories. But yeah. If we'd included them all, it would have been even Stewie
6: O'Keefe. Uh, you could have done a whole ring. thing on him where he's like, yeah. like, you know, he comes on in the final yeah. and busted that, Street, gives that performance. That, that, that on its been.
2: own would be a documentary, that would have been Street's <laughs> favorite episode. Oh. <laughs> <of course. There'd laughs> on, on yeah. I mean, you, you're just so lucky with the quality of the footballers and the chat that, that they gave you that they're able yeah. to, they're such good talkers that they can narrate you through this whole thing. And obviously, then Rob, you've got Holloway as well. I mean, one of the best talkers in the game. I remember when he signed the the Blackburn game. I for some reason I was in Glaziers and he came in and did a sp- he came through the doors and the place erupted. Everyone's like, "Ray, hey, Ollie's here." And he did this amazing speech to Glaziers completely off the cuff. And it was like spine tingling. I can't remember what he said, but it was just Ollie being Ollie in that moment before the game. And then we went out and smashed Blackburn. We were, we were really really good. But I mean, as a man coming in to to take over the the range, Rob, you, you don't really want anyone else. He's the perfect man.
5: Yeah, I think I think it's one of those things where he he himself is someone who tells stories really well. So he he he's really good at kind of adding color to stuff and I think his energy was was incredible really and I think also the thing that I think is important in the documentary is that it it pays credit to the fact that he kind of listened after a while to what the players were saying, and also from the sounds of things to what Steve Parish was saying, and kind of took all of that advice on board, and basically reverted back to the tactics and the approach that that the, the players had got so used to, and especially in the playoffs, the whole that whole that whole kind of sequence of the, from the start of the playoffs all the way through to the final, you just get this sense that they had the perfect man there to 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 guide the club through that process. How, how was that for you, Damo? Uh, not Damon. sorry, Rambo. <laughs> sorry, getting the O's confused. Um, how was that for you, Rambo, in terms of... I mean, did you, did you sense that Holloway was going to try and change things a bit and, and was trying to be a bit more expansive? And then was there like this kind of... Again, I think dealing with a, a team with strong characters it, it, it brings its own problems in some ways because those strong characters tend to stick together and kind of influence what the rest of them do. Was was there conscious thinking in that, or what do you? What, um, what you say? I don't know. I mean, we knew that we're all seasoned pros. We,
3: we've all you know experienced moments in our career where managers have changed midway through season. So we knew that Oli was going to come in and um, and not kind of try and. Uh, change everything but have his own stamp and his own imprint on the team with his own style of play and philosophy so we knew that was going to happen um, and we all respected what he was trying to do um, and we all bought into what he was trying to do just when the results started to waver a little bit and you know we're starting to have a little bit of doubts in our mind mind about our own ability to to be able to um, implement what he was trying so I think where we kind of just came together and we weren't trying to go behind his back and doing it either. We just knew what we were good at. And that's, you know, we, it wasn't, wasn't us trying to be disrespectful. We just tried to, you know, like you said, just chat with Ollie. Listen, you know, we're used to this. This has been working. You know, we, we want to try and play more expansive football. But... We're not 100% sure how to, if that makes sense. We'd been so ingrained in Dougie's somewhat defensive style um, with the kind of counter-attack and with Wilf and and Johnny and and the the kind of somewhat flair players. And Ollie was brilliant. You know, he was really, really open-minded and really uh, took on board what we were trying to say. So it was trying to come to some sort of a a common ground um, where we could... It's still have the, the kind of the, the steel and the, the defensive kind of solidity, solidity that Dougie had implemented but also have that you know allow Wilf and Yala to go off and do whatever they wanted that is like all he wanted to do and you know and credit to Ollie, um that he did listen uh, and we also tried to work on his philosophy too to, to like I said kind of merge the two together to be able to to be successful and. You know, luckily enough, we you know we we managed to find a somewhat of a blend that that got us there.
2: That's sorry, Greg. That's a really interesting moment in the documentary because I actually had no idea that that had happened. That the players had gone back to Ollie and, and said do this. Like that was actually sort of a learning moment for me. Um, yes, that, that happened.
4: It was for us. It was interesting finding out because some players didn't want to talk about it when we asked them, yeah. and others were quite quite happy to yannick talk about, open it. Open yannick. about it because because yannick was the f- we did yannick early on yannick was, was the, the first, f- first player. player yeah we did yannick first and he talked about it so then i obviously then brought it up with everyone else some did talk about it some didn't but then ian had been open about it, and then steve was open about it. and i thought he explained it quite well as well it was in- interesting i found the whole bit where ian was talking about how he struggled to get his ideas across. What? Did, and he said something like, "I, I couldn't make them believe they were better than, yeah. than what yeah. they were." But then he talked to about Damo playing. Di- he was trying to get Damo to play diagonal balls. I feel like after Holloway left, all Demo did was yeah. play diagonal yeah. balls, yeah.
2: Yeah. and he was really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because Ollie was saying how, how yeah. good he was. Sean, was there anything else that came up in the documentary that you that you learned about that that you didn't know?
6: Um. Gosh. Not really. I mean, uh, th- it was mostly the stuff that you know, obviously went on in the changing rooms that you just you, you never you never hear about. Um, it's yeah, it's mostly the stuff that we've already really mentioned. To be honest with you, I it's hard
4: to think, think about what else. we didn't know just because we've spent a year yeah. watching it. Yeah, I can't remember what it was like forever. Can't even remember if I was a Palace fan. Or not. <laughs> um, no. Just, I never thought I'd hear Johnny Williams describing the smell of poo. and no.
2: <laughs> I have to. I think my favourite, my favourite bits are Johnny Williams. He's just, oh, he's so good, yeah, he's so lovely, so I mean, he's, so lovely just
6: he just... he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I guess actually, probably the biggest one for me was uh, Aaron Wilbraham. I didn't realise how big a part he played in that side. I remember him at the time coming into the team and thinking, God, I wish you were Glenn Murray as a fan. Yeah. But looking at it now, I'm like, I'm so pleased he had that moment where he suddenly became kind of the linchpin of the attack. Because he was clearly such a huge part of the dressing room and really kept it going in the moments where it was probably quite low was is that was that the case for you?
3: Yeah, it really was. He used to have a every Friday he used to go around with his notebook he had a kind of a little sweepstake going on that brought everybody together you had to to predict a, or you had to predict the score of a home away in a draw. He <laughs> had to pick three teams out of the whole of the football league. And he had a book and he kept a book and there was a weekly prize. there was a monthly prize. there was a yearly prize. And Albie was probably one of the biggest characters in that dressing room that kept everybody together. And, um, you know, whilst it wasn't exactly happening on the field for him as a striker in terms of scoring goals, but, you know, it was largely down to Glenn's incredible season. But Albie was definitely one of the, the major influences in, in what we were creating Um and like I said, he was like Van Wilder organising everything, every social event, Albie was at the, uh, at the heart of it. And um, we I don't think we could have gone on to do what we do without, you know, the, and particularly uh, without him. Because there's a
2: cliche, isn't there, in football that, oh, he's a great lad to have around the dressing room. And I think a lot of football fans think that might be a bit of a sort of a myth. But actually, it sounds like he is exactly that sort of player and that personality.
3: Yeah, he was, but I mean, don't underestimate what he was able to do on the field as well. You know, there's many a time where he came on and he was used as like an old battering ram up top to hold the ball or whatever it was, and then you know he he came in, he had a massive influence in the in the playoff games and and obviously in the final as well. It was just watching it, I didn't realize just how many chances he had in the final, and you know, else. It was great that Kev. The it was a story, a, a, a fairy tale story ending with Kev scoring a goal. A little bit of me wish, wishes it was Albie because it would have been a fitting end and for his um, contribution to the to the team, both on and off the field. If he would managed to get a goal and on such the such a stage as it was at Wembley, it was um, it would have been great for him to to put one of them chances away. But he was um, he was brilliant um, and still probably one of the best guys I've ever come across and uh, as a teammate. Fantastic. Um, let's take another really
2: quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about our favourite moments from the documentary. Welcome back to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Three. Hey, part three of our "When Eagles Dare" documentary special, uh, and we're going to talk now in our final part about our favourite moments from the documentary. We've talked about quite a few already, and there are there are so many brilliant moments in it. But uh, Rob, we'll start with you. If you had to choose one moment from the documentary, what is your your favourite?
5: Can I mention two? I knew you were going to do that. I know. I just kind <laughs> I of couldn't want, think I, of one. Either. I really want yeah, to. Yeah, go on, go on. No, number one, the whole documentary, and 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 the reason I say this is I. I came back to England. I was living in in the states. I came back to England um, with my having separated from my wife, uh, my ex-wife now, obviously. Um, and I was at such a low point in that at that at that point. And I arrived back in England on the first of November, twenty twelve. And the progression from what we were at that point to the to winning the playoffs, it, it completely lifted me out of the deepest and darkest moment of my life, I would say. And it really, it, uh, bringing, watching the documentary brings all of those memories back and all of the kind of sadness I felt at the time, but also just the brilliance of seeing all of these b- fantastic players and people that I genuinely have love for kind of raising, helping to raise me up as a person, but also helping to raise the club up to the point where they were. In terms of the documentary itself, my favorite bit is just the brighton the the brighton second leg with the music i think it's just so well done the bit with you know the the the, the build up to the point where wolf scores the, the first goal and the crescendo of excitement and everything that kind of comes with that and then the second goal as well and then just damo saying that player seeing the fans seeing the fans leaving all of that stuff it's just so well done and so kind of If you you want to show, as as Chris said earlier, if you want to show a non-football fan what football Mm. can be about, that is probably the best bit, is the goal scoring and the excitement and getting one over your biggest rivals.
2: Absolutely,
6: yeah. Very good choice. Um, Sean? That happened on my birthday. Really? Yeah, It was my 21st birthday. I was at uni and I danced on a table in Bournemouth. (laughs) When Will score that so the sound the the ball of the ball hitting yeah. the crossbar is probably the greatest noise ever, which is why I had to give its own little moment of a heartbeat and then <laughs> I was like, this is the greatest moment of so well, good. my favourite footballing memory of all time is that moment. Yeah. Um so I had to give it its uh, its fair dues. I'm gonna actually cheat as well. <laughs> uh and just say that the I guess it's more about where we are now, but it's actually about because I approached the projects and sort of thought I wanted to explain that first little bit. I wanted to explain why a Palace the way they are. Why is Palace a special club? It's because historically we've been a yo-yo, we've been a basket case, we've been roller coaster. It's been absolutely crazy for you we know, are probably before I was born, but up until basically 2010, it was kind of yeah. what are, we're never never going to win anything, and never going to do anything. And then that's how I sort of wanted to introduce this story. So I guess that's that's it. It's 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 what you look at the how you look at the club then, and what we are now. And that's why we, as as a club, I think we need to look back on the last 10 years and reflect on this story that we've just had and we've just lived and actually just be super grateful that, as fans, we get to enjoy a club like this. Because it's just mad, isn't it? Like, to think where we were in 2010 to, and where we are now. And, yeah, we all moan and whatever and who knows what's going to happen this summer and it's going to be, it could be chaos and... We don't know, that, but that's well, Palace. Palace yeah. And all we wanted back then, all I wanted when I started working at the club was like, oh, can we just have a few seasons of mid-table yeah. mediocrity? And we got that. And it's like, we've kind of got everything that we've wanted as a club over the last 10 years. All of that madness that came before has made us appreciate it, I think, a little bit more.
5: I kind of feel sorry yeah. for people who watch Palace having just, like, from the perspective of being a Premier League club, because yeah. they just don't see and Like, they haven't had the full experience. But then people older than me will say well you don't you don't remember the days when we were in the third division and yeah. Yeah. you know all of that
6: so I guess the answer is it, the, the answer <laughs> is the story yeah. of how, how we got it's, it's the idea that in 2010 to 2013 w- this club was reborn and that's the story we've told yeah but We weren't reborn by someone coming in and completely changing our identity. We were reborn by fans going to a bank and protesting and getting the club back into fans' hands. A fan buys the club, a legend of the club, manages the team, and a group of misfits, or wrong-uns, as as Rambo and Damon like to put it, came together and got us promoted, and now look where we are. That, as a microcosm of Palace... Like that's that's just my favourite. That's why I love this club so much, and that's why it's been a very emotional year making this documentary and watching it again tonight with my mum. I'm probably going to cry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all well up uh, at certain but yeah, parts. Yeah, that's my answer. Sorry, it's it's, <laughs> it's just fine. I wouldn't accept that from anyone else. But you did edit the whole thing. So <laughs> well, I'll let you. I'll let you. That way. Um, Greer? Um,
4: I think the same as Rob the Brighton bit in in four. Anything in four and five? I, I just remember just sitting there watching it through whenever sean sent the bits through and i just sat there in my front room just a big smile on my face yeah. or like lip quivering and <laughs> <laughs> eyes watering but I'm, I'm similar to robin that that season for me uh, i think the kevin phillips bit when he talks about his parents at the end of yes. the game that really gets me because that season for me so my mum died july 2012 and that season was my opportunity to meet meet up with my dad so every game that we went to was a, was a reason to see my dad and spend the day with him. But then, in the September, that's when I met my now wife, found out she went on a blind date, found out she was a palace fan and, um, and then obviously met um, the legend that is Julian Chenery, <laughs> my now father-in-law. but it was the first time that season was the first time that I'd gone to games with anyone other than my own family because I grew up in Sussex and no one at my school that I remember supported Palace. So it was always just a... It, not like you guys where you've gone with friends. I'd never had that. So that season was like, almost like what, well, it was an amazing opportunity to see my dad. And then... Liv started coming to the games with me, and then her dad would come. So then the, the, that playoff final for me is such a special day. And that Kevin Phillips goal, because we all went up together like as one big palace family yeah, nice. and spent the day together. So I would say, yeah, Kevin Phillips talking about his parents. And then as for when we were making it, my favourite bit was we talked about earlier when Rambo starts telling the thing about the jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. Because then in my head straight away, I'm already thinking, OK, we can build this whole thing around the jigsaw puzzle. And I think me and Sean just looked at each other afterwards and went, we need a jigsaw. <laughs> and it was almost like, when things like that happen, and you know as someone's speaking, you're already picturing yeah. it, oh God, that yeah. just ties everything together. So I think, I think that's
2: my monologue. Very good. And you forget sometimes that how football and life sort of intertwine so much, which makes mm. these seasons so memorable, especially one with so much packed into it as well. Mm. Um, Rambo, let's come to you for the final favourite moment. What was your favourite moment from the from the documentary?
3: Um, to be brutally honest, if you're... Similar to Rob, it's the whole thing for me reliving it, but reliving it with my kids because they were a lot younger. I only had my um, my first was was she was two, three year old. My wife was pregnant with my second, so I've got an eleven year old nephew now who actually he was supposed to come down to Wembley, but um, he was ill, so couldn't come down to the game. So actually, being able to to sit and watch it with them um with my children who knew especially my nephew who's he's getting into his football now he knew I was a footballer but I didn't think he realized that actually was a footballer (laughs) do you know what I mean so how Sean and Chris have put it all together is um for me the whole lot is is special because we sat as a family and watched it just like what Chris has said about going to the games there with his with his dad and his family for me I it was being able to sit back and watch on, you know, like I said, my favourite year as a professional footballer with my kids and my wife. And, you know, my mum and dad have have sat back and watched it. Um, it's been able to sit back and relive it, but relive it with them. And um, because I'm the dad, they didn't realise, you know, I'm a, I'm a footballer. I had like all these other people that were, you know, involved in my professional life. All they consider as is me is, is, is the dad. Um, and dad's some did something pretty cool with a a bunch of wrongings. Um, So to be able to to sit back and and watch it and and marry them off to Johnny Parr and Johnny Williams is even better. The
5: the coolest thing, I think, about that season that I remember is your coffee club meetings with Moritz and... uh, and Damo and you just Damo. you just posted pictures of your shots of coffee and I thought those <laughs> guys are just so cool living the life drinking coffee <laughs> well the thing was I never drank tea or coffee until I moved to
3: palace it was mother um I used to room with obviously Glenn and Glenn was uh was big into his tea and his coffee and whatnot and I, he got me into it and then demo tries to be all you know West London made in Chelsea kind of thing going all these fancy coffee houses and things like that and all of a sudden the coffee club was born um you know Glenn used to be in the used to be the first out of the car park to drive all the way back down to Brighton but all of a sudden he used to come to the odd one and then you know everybody was starting to try and invite themselves to it which then became exclusive but again it just epitomizes what that group was about that we used Mm -hmm. to you know socialize off the field as well as um as you know be be teammates on it God, made in Maiden Chelsea would be great, wouldn't it? That
2: would really improve. <laughs> that. He actually,
3: seriously, we went to Vegas um, when I was at QPR, and he got approached when we were at one of the the pool parties to do like a Jersey Shore kind of uh, <laughs> big chiseled jaw Irish fella. He was a you know a movie director's dream. <laughs> You will remember it. You'll probably try and say he won't, but he did. He got he got approached to be on one of the shows, and <laughs> wow. uh, I don't think we've ever let. Well, I've never let him. It'd be great. I think it'd be great as well. Yeah, yeah. new He's career. He's the star of waiting. the show,
6: isn't he? Really, in this one, yeah. so many people have spoken to me after. is just going like demo story. Yeah. Wow, what a guy! That's like, so cool
2: that that happened to him. Yeah, it really. But I, again, I, one of these things that wasn't you know scripted. Oh. is real life. Another one of the the many moments in that season that. Yeah. that comes together um guys we have to wrap up it's been absolutely lovely talking about it and, and reminiscing with you rambo I've got a couple of comments from our listeners for you jane sanderson says um big love to agent rambo and sean tallett says just tell rambo he's a legend and we love him so palace fans are still very much in love with you rambo and thanks very much yeah, for joining us and, and chatting through oh, the documentary thank you very, very much and we need to thank do you. we need to get everyone
4: down to sell us when all the crowds are back we should do some kind of reunion where we, we get as many 100%. of you together as possible
2: yeah that'd be i'll awesome. be there Top man, brilliant. And, and Chris Grierson, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. I'm Top a big man. fan of the pod. Oh, thank you very much, Sean Webb. Thanks for coming on. Amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah, I love the pod. Oh, thank
6: you very Those much. I didn't job. even can i do a, can They're I just...
4: do a well played. Yeah. yeah, you can do well played lads. Well
5: played, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Rob. Good to have you on. Yeah, it's been a, been a real pleasure. I mean, it's it's great company with Rambo. He's just been. I mean, for everything that he did during that season, and 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 the kind of. Professionalism that he instilled, and and the hard work, and the you know the blood, the sweat, and the tears. It was. It's just been fantastic to to talk about it, and also to have witnessed everything that happened that season live, and then to watch it all again brilliant thank
2: you guys um, When Eagles Day is available on Amazon Prime video now so you can watch it literally at the end of this podcast which is ending in the next few seconds thanks for listening with more FYP pods throughout the summer um, depending on what happens at Palace but I imagine we'll have a new one pretty soon um, so thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon bye